This is Danny Jolkin, and you're listening to the Level Flight Podcast. Welcome into episode 58 of the Level Flight Podcast. My name is Connor. I'm joined by Brian and Elliot today. And we've got a lot to talk about. The Jets had a four-game winning streak. It came to an end last night against the San Jose Sharks. We're recording this Wednesday Wednesday morning, and uh, they play the Kings tonight. So maybe we'll get some content out on that, get our thoughts maybe to you Friday morning. But in the meantime, guys, how are we doing? Uh, you know tired from last night i went to bed before the end of it and then managed to turn the game back on to see the end and the sharks score with like four minutes left uh but uh yeah it's i don't, I don't like the west coast games i'm too old for this I, I will not agree with that motion this week as much as i agreed last week with connor um i don't mind the late games it's just when i'm tired i'm tired um I, I watched in the game. We'll get into it. Brian, would you like to tell everybody why you uh, why you decided to go to sleep in the middle of the third period? Well, I, uh, we'll talk about uh, this later as well. Um, but I had a, a personal bet with myself that if I saw Logan Stanley one more time on my screen, uh, I was going to go to bed. And he wasn't even on the ice, but they did like a close-up on the bench. And I'm like, all right, it's meant to bedtime. be. Tuck myself in. Good night, Moon. Yeah, yeah. We were we were talking in our text chat last night about the late starts, and uh, we can get into that maybe later because the Jets play again tonight at nine thirty Central. Um, but I'm a big fan. I actually prefer nine thirty starts over six p.m. starts. That's I, I know that's a hot take, but when they play like New York and it starts at six, you know, cuts into dinner. Um, there's like just things going on where like you'll miss a period or I got to drive my little brother to hockey or whatever. Like there's just things happening at six o'clock at nine 30. Everyone's in bed. And the only thing you can do is watch the Jets game. And uh, that's, that's my entire case for why I prefer the late starts <laughs> over the, the early starts. Um, good case. Good case. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. And then I, I tell people that and they all go, well, it's because you're young. When you get older, you'll, you'll hate it. And I'm not disputing that. But, but believe me, for right now, <laughs> listen, I've right never now, felt you, more are you trying to call Brian old? Unbelievable, yeah, Can't exactly. Listen, do I do have the uh, you know, the age range on you guys, so yeah, if, if yeah, you were yeah. unfamiliar, I am the oldest on the show, uh, to yeah. our listeners. Uh, you'll find me in your local uh, retirement home, um, <laughs> and uh, both of my knees no longer work. <laughs> we're getting there my knee was giving me issues this past you know winter but yeah, when the know. weather changed uh, yeah, yeah i'm not even gonna get started i'm a former athlete i my body aches constantly <laughs> it's been pushing anyways let's get into the professional athletes let's talk about yeah. them um the winnipeg jets let's start with the colorado avalanche game this was one of the best games of the year for winnipeg they beat them 4-2 the avalanche on the road gives them you know the leg up with like initially the leg up on a tiebreaker they're gonna play colorado again this week actually saturday night 6 p.m canada life center that'll be a fun one a good rematch for these two teams that are battling at the top of the central but this game specifically cal connor we'll get into that in a second but in this game he scores two goals uh the top line continued to roll it was connor shifley ehlers at the time their analytics were great. They were putting up numbers. Josh Morrissey scores the game winner. He had a fantastic game. Um, there was really nothing to not like from this game. Um, Logan Stanley got burnt pretty bad on that goal by Nathan McKinnon. But outside That's of that, new. I thought he actually had a pretty good game. Um, and Murata Tesh of The Athletic had a good tweet saying, like, if your assessment of a player is that he got posterized in transition by Nathan McKinnon, then 
maybe like it's just you, you put that away because McKin you watch McKinnon's highlights. There's millions of defensemen he's done that too. Um, but I digress. Brian, what were your thoughts from the before two win over the Avalanche on Thursday? It's one of those ones where I think we were talking about it at the time. Um, that first period felt like nothing. It's like nothing yeah. happened. Yeah. Uh, and then as the game wore on, like it just felt like the Jets sort of had that extra step. Um, and it ended, it ended up being a really good finish and, uh, you know, seeing what they did with put going up, you know, you know, fairly quickly too. Like it felt like everything was kind of in a quick little burst there, but no, getting, getting that type of offense from your top players is good when it's against these top teams. Like you need your best guys to show up in the hardest situations. And there they were. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think the jets played well in the second period. I will actually disagree. I think they, reeled quite a bit in the third period but i it was it wasn't one of those games where we've seen where the jets kind of just go all right connor hellebuck you figure us out figure us out of this problem oh we're just playing so much better sorry you lagged a little bit there there's a non-zero chance that we got none of what you had just said but you know (laughs) Which was weird because I think Connor, you were the only one that liked on my screen. But oh, anyway, either way, um, mm-hmm. I'll rephrase that for everybody. Um, normally, the Jets are pretty good about just kind of throwing the game to Connor Hellebuck in the third period when they're up, and they just—I don't think they really did that in mm-hmm. this game. It just, as much as it looked like it, it really didn't feel that way. It felt like the Jets were trying to generate; they were trying to make plays offensively and it just looked like the abs were the better team in the third and they got i wouldn't even say bailed out by connor hellebuck because they didn't even look like they were trying to have hellebuck bail them out which i think is a good new thing that they're trying to do um but he did steal them the win in the third period yeah hellebuck was fantastic it was another game where you you feel more confident with him in net now that the first couple games of the year you were feeling uneasy every time the op- the opponents would have a good chance because Hellbuck was struggling. Now it's like the Jets could give up 35 shots and they're they're fine. Um Brian, you alluded to the the nothing first period. Um and there's there seems to be this weird pattern where either the first periods that the Jets play are nothing or they just get absolutely pummeled uh as we'll talk about in the Sharks game. It happened in the Hurricanes yeah. game. With it just Brassois just he likes getting a lot of shots early, so they they give him what he wants and they give up 15 shots in the first 10 minutes. But um, there's the, there's these first periods where you watch and you the, the first period ends and you go, I could not tell you one thing that happened in that period. That was just the most boring hockey I've ever seen. Or they just get absolutely shelled, uh, but the game is still tied or like one one, or they're winning in the Hurricanes case. Um, yeah. very, very weird trend to keep an eye on, but to, this night against the avalanche, the three of us were out at the illegal curve watch party at BP Taylor. Um, it was a really fun time seeing a lot of people, people came up to us. Um, and we're talking about, you know, level flight podcast. We were telling people about that. We, Brian and I were at the Winnipeg sports talk event the night before telling people about LFP getting the word out. Um, but yeah, legal curve watch party. Um, love those guys. Love the post game shows. Um, very fun time at BP and a good crowd. Uh, really good turnout yeah. and um, yeah, just a, a fun time. Yeah, I don't know if you guys have anything to add, but uh, yeah, that was really fun. Just thanks, Olivia Kerr, for having us out. That's yeah. about it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, let's move on to the Anaheim game. Um, obviously, the Anaheim game comes with a bit of an asterisk. They win. It's their fourth straight. They're atop the central division. Everything should be sunshine and rainbows. But Kyle Connor exited the game in the second period with a right knee injury. Did not look good. Um, if you compare it to the Gabriel Velarde injury, which a lot of people are doing, knee injury, fair enough. Um, Gabriel Velarde gets hurt and is able to skate off. You cannot say the same about Kyle Connor. He gets hit in the right knee. Um, is immediately down, holding his knee for a couple minutes. Trainers come. They, he gets helped off. No weight on his knee. Um, and it's. I'll get. I'll let you guys go on the hit first um, before we get into the game. I don't even know if we really want to talk about the game. They beat a team they should have. Whatever. Um, they scored four unanswered in the third. That was kind of cool. But 
outside of that, the Kyle Connor hit, Elliot, I'll let you go first. Um, what were your initial thoughts when it happened? And now seeing replays, what, what do you think of the hit? So for me, when I first saw the hit, my first thought was, okay, that looked bad on impact. But it also looked to me, when I first watched it, it looked like a hit. Right mm-hmm. when you watch it in full time, it looks like Strom hit him, missed, and you know did something he probably shouldn't have. Right, mm-hmm. and like I said, it didn't look good. They keep playing, they play on, and then I kind of noticed that I was like, "Oh, that didn't look good." And then they kind of keep playing, and then I'm like, "Okay, now where's Kyle Connor? Like he didn't get up," and yeah. that's kind of when "quote unquote" panic started to set in because. As we know, Kyle Connor's been pretty much a tank, right? Like he's taken some pretty big hits and he's been pretty good about staying in the lineup, staying in and around the team. Like he hasn't missed too much time and then he doesn't get up and then they pan over and they've got the trainer out and and it doesn't look good. When I rewatched that replay to me and I tweeted out on my own social media account um, after I think I quote tweeted your tweet, Connor. Um, mm-hmm. but I tweeted out saying this looks more like to me, it looked more like an intentional hit, first of all. But the way that Ryan Strom hit him, it looked more like a slew foot. It looked like he was trying to get his leg up underneath Kyle Connor to trip him up, and instead full on like went knee on knee with him. Um, yeah. and obviously, as we know, especially if there is an aggressor in a knee on knee hit. Normally, the aggressor isn't really going to get too bothered by it because he's prepared for it and he's the one providing the impact. Um, But yeah, to me, the way that that played out on replay, it looked obviously intentional and it looked a little bit more like a slew foot to me, which could have signaled to the league that it wasn't an accident and probably deserved some suspension time. But I mean... I don't even want to get into that because then I'll get into a discussion about what Draymond Green did last night to the Phoenix Suns <laughs> and Yusef Nurkic, and we don't need to do that. Very fair. Brian? Uh, I I agree with the fact that it looked awful. I don't agree with the fact that it looked more like a slew foot because I feel like the prerequisite for a slew foot is that it comes from behind and you lift the foot mm-hmm. up from behind. Um, that, to me, is just a bad knee. And, like, Neil Pionk was suspended for a similar play against the Leafs two years ago. Like, Almost like you can see a, a little lean from the the knee to lead with that, and that's exactly what Strom did. And he doesn't even get a fine. And I think with that is this week alone, the uh, the player safety department has lost any and all credibility that they had built up early in the season with some decent calls, where it's like they don't have any consistency whatsoever. Um, and I honestly think that you can, from that, especially the one angle that you can really see the the knee hit Connor's knee, you can quite literally see that he's leaning with he's leading with that knee. Like if you lead with the mm-hmm. knee, there's intent. He also mm-hmm. also he missed with a chicken wing, mm-hmm. so he's clearly intending to make contact with either his elbow, not allowed, or with his knee, also not, not allowed. allowed. And he yeah. like. I don't know. It's it's just there's no real sort of consistency here. And there is a precedent that can be followed, especially like even in the Jets case, like seeing Neil Pionk getting suspended for a similar play uh, on Timothy Lilligren against the Leafs a few years back or Rasmus Sandin. Um, mm-hmm. And Sandin was out for a few months. Um, why does that get two games and this one doesn't? Because same sort of injury what we're probably looking at yeah yeah Yeah. and um before i get into my thoughts on the hit i will say mike mcintyre had this report um that connor's knees hopefully a six to eight week recovery timeline however there's still some further evaluation pending which could alter that uh he says we'll get an official update from rick bonus rick bonus spoke and said that they're sending him back to winnipeg to be evaluated by the team doctors um so the way I I interpreted that tweet is that they got it they got him evaluated in San Jose with San Jose's team doctors like players do when they get hurt on the road, and they said 
you know, you're hurt in six to eight week timeline, but the Jets just want to be ultra careful with their best offensive player leading like in the race for the Rocket Richard. So they're like, you know what? If it's six to eight weeks, we don't need you for this road trip. Go back home. We'll get you evaluated by our own doctors and then we'll come to a full conclusion. Um, it's just another opinion uh, because no one expects like it was it, it wasn't going to be. Oh, Kyle Connor might be a game time decision for L.A. tonight. Like it was it was never going to be that. Um, so just getting as many uh, professional opinions on it. Why not? Right. Um, yeah. But six to eight weeks would be a massive win. Uh, anything short of season ending. And I know that sounds dumb. I know that sounds dumb. He's out for six weeks. That's not a win. That's not good. But the way the play happened, the way Kyle Connor's never injured, and yet he's sitting there holding his knee for like over two minutes, can't put any weight on it. Um, like I said, Velarde was able to skate off on his own power, just went right off the ice. Um, the way it looked, you thought, like, I, I don't know about you guys, but running through my mind was like torn ACL, torn MCL, all these knee injuries that you hear of in these, these in football, most notably. Um, but it's, it's six to eight weeks would be a win. The, his season's well, not thing, over. Like, that come would back. effectively bring him back end of January into early February. Right. Yeah. yeah. And a trade so like, effectively, that, that was exactly yeah. what I was going to say because yeah. we Nicolai know that's we're going to hear from about. last year. Um, you know, like, like come February, we're going to just hear, oh, if, if this is in fact the timeline, which I'm assuming we're going to look at something, you know, along that lines. Um, but if it doesn't change, we're going to spend all of January hearing about how he's their trade deadline acquisition. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Again, uh, going through that. I want to bring something up with that later on about another topic, but I don't want to allude to it yet because I think it could be a fun topic, but um, let's, let's save that. Um, I'll get to quickly. My thoughts on the hit. Um, I was shocked that it wasn't suspended at all uh, because there's, there's this whole debate of, well, do you suspend the intent or do you spend the act? Right. Um, Like Jacob Truba, uh, two hands, a guy to the head. I, I'm sure a lot of people saw that clip. He slashed slashed a guy in the head. Um, and what, he just got a fine because the guy wasn't hurt? But what if he nailed him in the neck and the guy, like, I don't know, strained his neck really bad and he was out months? Um, then would he be suspended? It, it's like, do you, do you suspend the result? Or do you suspend what actually happened, which is a guy slashed someone in the head or a guy needs someone uh, and got a game misconduct out of it? I just, I don't, I don't like this whole, well, um, they suspended him or they, they, they tossed him from the game. If Kyle Connor's not hurt, then no harm, no foul. It's like, well, he neon need him. Uh, and he's going to be hurt for a long time. And that should be suspended. Regardless, if Kyle Connor was in the lineup tonight, that hitch still should be suspended for two games because whether he's fine after it or he tears his MCL, uh, it shouldn't matter. Like the play happened, um, whether or not he he's out for the season or is back the very next game um, shouldn't determine how or whether or not a player is suspended. That's my take. Um, uh, just yeah. just uh, just in now. Yeah, uh, the Jets just have officially placed Kyle Connor on injured reserve. OK, um, and have called uh, recalled uh, Dominic Toninato from the Manitoba Moose on an emergency basis, which is interesting because they already have 12 forwards, I think, that are active, don't they? Yeah, they, they have 12. They went which 11 and 7. That there's night. either like an illness or an injury with another forward as well. Because maybe it's also they went 11 7 again last night, which we'll talk about later again. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, uh, if they're going 11 7 and then doing an emergency recall on a forward, I'm curious as to sort of where everyone's at. But um, yeah. 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 Um, before we get into all that, they did go 11 and 7 last night. They played the Sharks. They lost. We'll get into that game in a second. Uh, first, we're going to hear a word from our sponsor, DraftKings. So stick around and we will be right back. Bet the action on the ice with DraftKings Sportsbook. Download the app now and use code THPN. New customers can get $150 instantly in bonus bets for betting just $5 on hockey. That's code THPN. 
Only on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. The crown is yours. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash hockey for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. NHL and the NHL Shield are registered trademarks of the National Hockey League. Copyright NHL 2023. All rights reserved. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY or 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-QUADRUPLE-7 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction, void in Ontario, see dkng.co slash football for eligibility. Terms and responsible gaming resources uh, are there for your availability. Uh, bonus bets expire seven days after issuance. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. And welcome back into episode 58 of the Level Flight Podcast. Thanks once again to DraftKings for sponsoring this episode. And the Winnipeg Jets last night lost to the San Jose Sharks. Would have been five straight wins, but they dropped a 2-1 game to the Sharks. First game without Kyle Connor. He only scored one goal. Brendan Dillon is the only goal scorer. Not a great look. Um, they go 11-7. and Their power play goes 0-5. for 5, So there's a lot to talk about in this game in terms of those, those two aspects. Um, but Brian, I'll get your your thoughts. What kind of was the most disappointing thing from this loss? Obviously, the Sharks have been better lately, but they're still a team that you got to beat. Yeah, well, I'm gonna, you know what? I'm gonna start with something positive, and okay. then go into the negative. I'm gonna start sure. by saying we've now got two really good starts from Laurent Brassois in a row, right? Yes. And uh, not to shamelessly plug myself here, but I put in an article yesterday, so on uh on tuesday whenever you're hearing this um and i talked about how consistency for him is his biggest foe over his career essentially he has never put together back-to-back really good seasons um Mm -hmm. and to go take that even further he's never put back-to-back seasons together with a 900 save percentage either he's over 900 or like 895 or lower like there is no consistency there um and we had already seen it to start the year where he was just not all there with his uh first like five starts and uh now he's got two really good ones in a row unfortunately he couldn't be rewarded with the win last night um but that that's the positive i took out it the negative though um i'm just sick and tired especially in this situation why the hell are you going 11 and seven on night one of a back to back when it's very clear that, you know, you're already a tired team. Your forward group is hurting already. And you're bringing in a guy who is not going to move the needle anywhere positive. Usually it's going to go somewhere to the negative side of things. Like I, I don't, I don't get it. I, I really don't like you're, you're only making your defense, uh, you know, group unstable you're uh, increasing minutes for your forward group and especially your top guys going into uh, a harder game against the LA Kings on a back-to-back. Like what, what are you doing here? Yeah. 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 It, it's, it's just a little silly. I, I'm going to just keep going with the 11 and seven thing. So you bring Schmidt in after being a healthy scratch. So this is his first game back. And then you make Logan Stanley, the seventh defenseman. When did Logan Stanley become the sixth and or seventh defenseman at all times? Like, I, I don't, I don't get it. I, I wouldn't mind if that seventh defenseman was um, Dylan. Uh, I almost said Dylan Sandberg, uh, Declan Chisholm, mm-hmm. because I don't mind what Chisholm brings to the lineup. I don't really think Logan Stanley does anything for this Jets team. I really don't think he does anything now. The only thing that I will say is the reason why he might be getting games and there's the whole, oh, Winnipeg and Philadelphia might be making a deal because they're at each other's games scouting and whatever. But fine. But you have enough tape on him. Philadelphia has seen him, right? Like he's he's been – the funniest thing is, is most people when you get into um, talking about players and 
year by year. Normally at any sport, you need film from every year because most players change and they get either get better mm-hmm. or like get worse, essentially, right? You need you need film. I'm pretty sure you could pull up film from three years ago of Logan Stanley and it'll look the exact same. The development like, curve I, is a straight line. Nothing yeah. has happened. Nothing has changed. If anything, I'm less impressed by him now. Um, yeah. And out like, of that entire yeah. like group, he's got the least amount of ice time uh, in like in other years. And then he comes in, he plays a bunch of games. Nothing changes. He has like one or two good games, gets hurt or something. And then we, we start again with like the whole, oh, maybe they're shopping. I don't, if they were shopping him, uh, he would have been either gone already or the, rest of the league would have looked at him and said, I don't know if we have a spot for this guy because he's not an NHL defenseman. And I I am firmly of the belief that he is not. I think he is maybe your number eight. Uh, yeah. Because like when you're looking at that group, I would much rather either Schmidt or Chisholm coming in. And then we're going to get into the whole Vili Hainala discourse again because he, at some point or another, he'll be back in the next month. Um, yeah. And... We're, we're, we're doing it again, where it's, once again, Logan Stanley is getting ice time that he does not deserve. Uh, and he's had a couple of good games over this little stretch here, but we're also looking that actively his foot speed, his, you know, his decision-making, it's costing the team. Like, there was a, a moment last night where he had, like, a nine full seconds to make a breakout pass from behind the net, and he just fired it right to the defense. Like... Like you're, you're like you're you're going directly to the sharks. Like you have nine seconds to make a decision here. Yeah. Uh, you're behind your own net. There's no one pressuring you, and then you fire it right to the opposing team. Like, I'm sorry. Like, and I don't understand. Like, listen, I understand. I mean, I'm gonna probably gonna get the whole oh, if uh, you know, why don't you coach the team situation here? But I don't understand how the coaching staff can look at this guy and say, yeah, that's the guy we want in the lineup every day. Um, I don't know if it's a bonus thing because I'll be real. We didn't see Logan Stanley when Scott O'Neill was behind the bench. Um, but clearly, and that's the thing. And bonus is doubling and tripling down. Every time someone asks him about him being in the lineup, he's like, Oh, I like what I saw. I like what I saw. You know, you know, he had a really great game. And like, and like that came after a game too, where he was just awful. Like, I don't understand the insistence on putting him in. And at this point, I also don't get the whole discourse of maybe they're shopping him for a deal. Like, no, I'm pretty sure this team is just too invested in this guy that they don't want to, you know, make it seem like they failed. Yeah. yeah, And the the report came out from Bruce Garriach. I think it was the Ottawa reporter for TSN. Um, And he basically said that there have been offers and the jets have turned them down. I'm pretty sure that was the report. You guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but um. Yeah, that's that's pretty telling. If we're, we're what year seven, year eight into this, um, and yeah. and and a big thing for me, and one place where I thought Logan Stanley provided value to this team was penalty killing. And in 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 years past, like last year before his ankle injury, I actually thought that he was a serviceable sixth defenseman who was a good penalty killer. Um, his foot speed was there, um, but I think since that ankle injury, his foot speed is just just gone. Um, I, and it's, yeah. it sucks. And, but for a guy who's six, seven, having a, an injury to the lower body when you're already struggling with, with foot speed is, is, is just tough. It's just tough to come back from. Um, and then in this game against the sharks, he's killing penalties and he has time to make a play ice the puck. He gets ripped by, I think it was William Eklund. Um, or yeah, yeah, I think it was Eklund, and then the puck yeah. ends up back to Eklund, who scores the game winner on on the one timer. Uh-huh. Um, and it's it's just it's tough to defend Logan Stanley this far into his career. The expectations are higher. I feel like Brian, you you said like you feel worse about him now. I think that's a product of the expectations on him being higher. He's now twenty five years old, and he's in his eighth year in the NHL, seventh year. Um, or of his career, sorry, not in the NHL, but of his career. Um, he should be the best version of himself as a player right now. The absolute best. At 25, you are the peak of your powers. That is Connor McDavid, 150-point season. Like, Sidney Crosby, you know, like, this is, like, when you are in your prime. The start of your well, prime. 25 years There old. is um, a and he's phenomenal just- study of the NHL aging curve. I think it's in Stat Shot uh, mm-hmm. is the, the book that it's in. 
and it shows that it does not matter defenseman forward, whatever. Um, essentially, yeah, once you hit 25, unless you're like a unicorn, like, you know, like a Crosby or mm-hmm. uh, an Ovechkin or like any of like those generational players, you are right. almost guaranteed to start being on your downswing. And I don't want to hear the whole, well, defensemen take longer. I'm like, no, some defensemen take longer and succeed. Most of them don't. Essentially, once you hit 25, uh, it's either you're in the NHL and you're going to stay there or you've lost your chance and you're going to go, you know, sit down in the AHL until people get hurt. Like it, it's, yeah, that's the thing. Like it's, it's usually it's, you get to a point where the aging curve sets in and it's one thing that really not many people can, you know, compensate with. Like once you, once you get older, either it's injuries or it's your foot speed or it's whatever um, you getting older is natural. And it's what it's going to happen is um, you're just going to have to, you know, mitigate that. And as a team, you also have to be able to identify it. And 25 years old, some big lumbering defenseman who doesn't really offer anything is not going to suddenly change his game and elevate it at any point past this point. Like, I'm sorry. Like, if you think that, you know, age 26, uh, Logan Stanley is going to be, you know, light years better than age 25 you are fooling yourself and it is only hurting the team more. So yeah, the, the aging curve, uh, you know, defies all unless you're like a general generational player. And let me tell you this, Logan Stanley is not right. What? He's not. Oh man. That's unfortunate. Man, it really sucks. That not every single loss. tall person is good at whatever. I'm even going to broad this out to every sport. Not every tall person is the best at every sport that they play, right? Yeah. Like it's 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 it just because like he's not. I'm sorry, I, Logan Stanley is not Zdeno Chara. He's not Victor Hedman. He's not any of that. He's Logan Stanley, and he's gonna stay being Logan Stanley until like like he's just he doesn't have it. I, I don't know what it takes for this organization to just see that he doesn't have it. I get he was a project and you you're 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 very committed to the project. I like project players are great. They're cool. The upside thing is fantastic. Logan Stanley, if he had figured out how to skate and he'd figured out how to speed up his skating. <laughs> if he figured out how to skate. <laughs> well, okay, but no, I, I get guys, what you're saying. Okay, I know, but can you guys also understand that it just sometimes looks like he's moving in quicksand? And there's sometimes where it just doesn't yep. seem like he knows. Like there are actually times where he makes plays where I don't even like a, barring the like besides the Sharks game. There are times where he doesn't even look like he knows what he's doing or like he realizes where he is. I will use an example of the Sharks game. There was a um, there was a play at one point. It didn't lead to a goal, but I believe I can't remember what time of the game it was. But there was a scramble in front of the net. Brassois had a right pad save. He threw it over in the right corner and Logan Stanley picked up the puck and like, it was like, it was a hot potato. Like he didn't even think of like every other defenseman kind of would have picked it up, tried to go. Cause he had space to go around the net, kind of take time to play, make a play. Nope. He picked that puck up and fired it right to whoever the right defenseman was like right onto the tape. Wasn't even a proper clearing attempt up the middle. He threw it right to the boards, right to the defenseman. It was right under the defenseman's the defense. stick. Yeah, yeah, so that's literally, and whoever it was walked in and took a slap shot. And I think, and obviously, Bresswat made the save, and it didn't cost the Jets anything, but it just feels like more and more he's costing this team games by either making a silly play defensively or he can't keep up. And again, like I said, I love project players. The ups, the idea, excuse me, the idea of upside is cool. But when it doesn't work, you need to realize it's not working and give up. Because what are you going to do when Vili Hainala comes back? What would you have done if Declan Chisholm had like three great games? Or what are you going to do if Nate Schmidt goes on a point streak for four games and he's got two goals and four assists and he's got six points in his last four games or something? Then you have to play those guys. And when Vili comes back, you have to give him a shot. He won the spot at a camp. You can't just go. Oh well, you got injured, so see you later. Bye bye. We'll see you in man. Like with the moose, like you, you can't yeah. do that. That's not. 
that, that sets the precedent for Vili, which we already know how Vili feels about playing with the Moose at this point in his career. Mm-hmm. And it also sets the precedent for other players that, well, if you win a spot, it doesn't matter, especially if you get injured because you're going to have to defy more odds to stay in the lineup. Like, it's just, yeah, at this point, I, it's just silly. Yeah, I there's a lot that goes into the decision to play him. And I think it breeds from the, like you talked about it, how we didn't see it with Arneal. Bonus, I, I've talked about it before. His style of hockey, he's trying to win every game 2-1, right? And with it works with a Vesna goaltender and a deep forward group and a veteran blue line that suppresses chances better than anyone else in the league um, or up there um, in like the top five. Um, but when you lose your top goal scorer and the guy that is res- like solely responsible for the majority of your offense, uh, going 11 and seven and trying to win the game two one seems interesting to me. I, you, you can fully lean into the defensive thing. That's that makes sense, but you need offense and you, you got to score some goals. And I wrote a piece uh, a few weeks ago, um, just kind of, Oh, it's a takeaways from their four, four game homestand. Um, the one where it ended off with Carolina. And I wrote that they were bottom five in the league at that time in expected goals for per 60 at five on five, um, which is they're not generating enough offense. And now Kyle Connor's out. So you're not going to get bailed out when you get one rush chance in the entire period. And it's a Kyle Connor two on one and he roofs it over the goalie. Um, you're not going to get bailed out by that anymore. Like when it's Mason Appleton coming down the wing, he's not as talented of a finisher as Kyle Connor is. Um, oh, no, 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 no. You, you got to temper those. It's Adam Lowry to an Mason Appleton Ovechkin style one knee one timer on the two fans on it. <laughs> I, I I don't know. It's just they're not generating enough offense. It's really concerning without Kyle Connor. It's going to be really interesting to see how they play tonight against LA. Um, second night of a back to back. Your forwards retired because you went 11 and 7 last night and lost to the Sharks. Um, so, and LA, the top team or like a top five team in the NHL in generating chances, five on five. One of the best offensive teams in the league. So you're not going to win this game 2 1. And um, your four group is tired. So good luck. Yeah. Hellbuck's going to have to be great tonight. That's what I think. I, that take may age horribly. We'll see. You'll be listening to this tomorrow morning, so you'll know. Um, but I I think they're they're screwed tonight against LA. Um, let's let's talk into um, what do we want to move into here? We've got a we've got an outline. What do we want to talk about? Um, I think a, a good natural transition point here would be to kind of continue on that conversation and look at the internal options mm-hmm. of where they're going to find any sort of you know offense or just the ability to fill in that spot with Connor out. Yeah. Um last night uh it was what Velarde and Ehlers on Shifley's wing. Yes. Yeah. And then the rest of the line lineup you look at it and you go I don't know how they're scoring. Yeah. Like Morgan Barron's in the top six now. So it's it's Ehlers, Shifley, Velarde, Perfetti, yeah. Nemesnikov, Barron, Niederreiter, Lowry, Appleton, and then last night on the fourth line, Gustafson and I follow. That would be AJF, Gustafson, I follow if they went 12 and six. Or Toninato or whoever. Or Toninato, yeah. Um, but I, I'll start here. I think besides, like Morgan Barron's been great, and I think he deserves that promotion into the top six. But you need more from Alex Iafalo and Nino Niederreiter. Um, like Nino's been great. I'm I more mean like you need him higher up in the lineup. Um, yeah, because that third line, let's be honest, it's it, it was great to start the year. It's almost just a black hole offensively now. They they're not really scoring at the pace that they no. did to start the year, which was unsustainable. We all knew it. Um, but it's time, like we're, we're past the point where it's like, oh, you can't break up the Lowry line because they're just so dominant. We're way no, past Nino has to be in the top six. Yeah. Like yeah. actually not like he's on the third line, but they play him top six minutes. No, yeah. he has to be alongside. Um, I honestly think you just, you bump him up to play with Perfetti and Nemestikov. Yeah. And then suddenly your top two lines again, have a level of you know, play driving and a level of the ability to score. That's the thing. Perfetti, unreal facilitator. 
Uh, Nemestikov holds it down defensively. Like he's still really mm-hmm. good at that. And Nino gets to the areas you need him to get to. And I think that it it's not ideal, but I think that works. I think I, I like what they've done with just moving Velarde up to the top line. Yep. Um, I think he's the best overall option for what you're looking for in terms of the ability to produce. Uh, and I actually think you're upgrading defensively there where you're not mm-hmm. going to be outscored because Connor's always outscored, but he usually makes up for it with his ability to score in bunches. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I, I'm, this is totally off topic. This is really funny, but the fact that underneath Connor is a thing that says who replaces Connor. So <laughs> yeah, we're taking auditions. Who's replacing uh, yeah. Connor on the yeah. LFP? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god it was just, this should be the thumbnail of the episode just me like yeah, who, who replaces <laughs> no oh, but god. like honestly i i truly think that you go you stick with what you've got now on the top line we've got velarde shifley ehlers then you go perfetti nemesnikov niederreiter and then you know baron lowry appleton and then i follow whoever like gustafson and whoever yeah. And uh, yeah. let's, okay, I'm going to quickly transition here. And I know, uh, Connor, you tweeted this out last night. Alex Iafallo is invisible and he has been for weeks. And he had time on the top line too when he actually uh, was, he yeah. essentially all of his offense dried up. He's now working the, t- the top power play unit in Connor's spot. Mm-hmm. He can't be getting those minutes. I'm sorry. Like he's yeah. just, he's not what they're looking for and they keep trying it. And I think that last night against the Sharks, having him as one of the the rotating guys, I'm wondering if the coaching staff is finally seeing it. We'll find out if they go 12, uh, 12-6 where they put him. If they keep him on that fourth line, I think they finally said, okay, dude, you're not doing enough. Um, yeah. But I don't trust that they won't. I have a feeling that we might see him on the second line again. Yeah, it's really interesting because he, he played under 11 minutes last night in a game where yeah. it's tied. You know, you need your veteran players. Morgan Barron was up in the top six and he was Morgan Barron was fantastic. Like, yeah, I stand by that decision. Like Morgan, like that was a good promotion to put Barron up there. He was great. Um, I follow 17 straight games without a goal, 12 straight without a point. And he played under 11 minutes last night in a game in the first night of a back to back when you go 11 and seven and forward minutes should be inflated. He played and under he's been 11 playing minutes. top power play that entire time. How do you not register a single point? Yeah. 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 He's not on the power play anymore. Um, because with Connor's injury, I believe they go their Ehlers, Perfetti, Shifley, Velarde, Morrissey. So I follow uh, he was, I, and he I, was in that the the circle. I I at some point, I don't know if he was just out there longer, but he was oh, okay, in maybe. the uh the right circle there where Connor usually that's his office. Um and was just ripping shots wide and his stick shattered. And I'm like, all right, great oh, work. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That, that he might be the second unit guy there then yeah. maybe I, I, or maybe he was out longer. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. It's, it's an interesting conversation and it's one that I want to revisit next week because yes. like we said, Connor's out now, you need this veteran guy who you acquired in the off season. He's got seven street, 17 straight games. Out of the goal. And he's not a goal scorer. We know that that's not the value he yeah. brings to the team, but right now he's not bringing any value um, from no, that fourth no. line. So, yeah, uh, I agree with you, Brian. Nino's got to move up. I follow um, has got to just be better. Got to uh, provide more value to to the lineup with Connor out. Um, Elliot, I I, I want to get your thoughts on this topic, but there's they called up Toninato, and I am of the mindset that. Calling up a Brad Lambert or a Nikita Chibrikov, I'm not here for that, especially Brad Lambert. People say Lambert and he like Brad Lambert's a center now. People forget. Um, they're developing him as a center. He's playing his first pro season as a center. Like he is not the guy that you're calling up to replace a winger. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, he's a center now in the pipeline. You got to think of him as a center. Um, Nikita Chibrikov, sure. Um, if Kyle Connor's injury was or turns out to be season ending i'll have more time for that conversation um but i just like lucius is a center lambert's a center chibrikov is dominating the hl let him let him stay um the jets can weather the storm north american season like let him continue to be comfortable and and the jets can weather the storm without connor i think but elliot what are your thoughts on their decision to not call up one of their young prospects 
Yeah, we had this conversation, and I mentioned it when Velarde got hurt. We had this conversation over the summer with Murata Tesh just mm-hmm. before the season started. And he said that if there was a long-term injury to a player, he would be surprised if the Jets called up a skill guy. But my my take is you only call up a skill player if that injury is season-ending or, like, very long, like, and you can give weeks. like you can give them a month or two to get accustomed to the NHL level and then really hopefully hit the ground running in the, the back half of the year because they're young. Like they've never played like yeah. Chipperkov's never played in the NHL. The the notion that he's gonna come up in the top six and just be a point per game player is just not true. Yeah, it's it's that's yeah. not how this works. And yeah. for like I was all for, especially when the Velarde injury happened, for maybe calling somebody up, but after seeing these guys play well down with the Moose and Lambert's had a slow start, but now he's picking it up. Chipperkov was off to a hot start. Lucius has been good, but he's also had issues with injuries. Like he's been in and out of the lineup. So for me, at this stage of the game, you let those guys keep playing. And as much as it hurts, you kind of have to call up a guy like a Toninado mm-hmm. or or somebody of, of that nature. Now, obviously, like you said, Lambert is he's a center now. But this lineup is so flexible, you can move guys around. Like yeah. you can you can figure out how that works if he was to be your fourth line or third line center, or maybe he slots in the top six and Perfetti's on the wing or whatever you want to do. But for the Jets right now, it's smart to keep your prospects in the minors. Mm-hmm. Because if you let's let's say this season doesn't go how you hope and you either make the playoffs and you crash out or you this this injury completely turns the season around and they're in the basement for the rest of the year. You want those players ready to go, let's say, for next season, right? Yeah. If a guy like Chiprikov, you look at and go, okay, I think he gets a shot in camp. He looks great, right? You don't want to stunt their development. You need to be looking towards the future because as much as this team has shown that they are good this season, they have a good enough prospect pool to be good in the future as well, and you don't want to jeopardize that. Like, imagine a... Let's say most of these guys that we just talked about hit their ceilings or get close to it, right? Like how dangerous of a Jets team is that? Like that's a fun Jets team. You don't mm-hmm. want to jeopardize the future. And this and this organization has been very adamant about being a develop and play organization and looking towards the future and not trying to break anything up or screw things over for the future just to fix the now. Mm-hmm. So this the call up for Tony Nado. I will say I think is a current duct tape it up fix. A more permanent fix would be a trade. And I think mm-hmm. that's a perfect segue into the next <laughs> news that just broke last night during the Jets game against the Sharks. I, I do just want to touch on this conversation, um, but we will get into Craig Berube being fired by the St. Louis Blues who have had a rough start to the year, but I don't know what they expected. Anyways, this whole conversation, um, I I love the point you brought up about the the prospect pool and how next year, as early as next year, McGrory, Chibrikov, and Lambert could all be ready for the NHL. They could, like it's unlikely. It might be the year after that. But McGrory last year was great with Michigan. This year, before his injury, he was fantastic, um, like just miles better than he was last year, and he's on the right trajectory. Lambert as a center. He's dominating down the HL. He just scored an OT winner against the Wranglers. Uh, shout out Dave Manuka of Illegal Curve for posting that clip because it was a really nice goal. Um, and then Chibrikov is a point of game player. And um, he might be able to like uh, snowball that into an NHL job as early as next year. And that would yeah. be like kind of found gold. You take all these first round forwards and then a second round guy hits. That's that's pretty, pretty good. Um so I, I really wanted to echo that point, Elliot, that you brought up. Um, the last thing I want to say on this is that I think they can weather the storm without Kyle Connor. Um, and it's because of the way Rick Bonus plays. He likes to win every game 2-1, like I said. Um, and if I follows up providing defensive value, need riders up, I think they'll be just fine. Um, but yeah, let's get into Craig Berube being let go. By the St. Louis Blues, Brian. I know you had some thoughts on this. Um, this is kind of just an NHL-wide topic, but Elliot brought up the potential of trade targets. 
Yeah, I mean, the Blues have... They say they underperform, but they really haven't. They're not that good of a team. Um, yeah. But I, I honestly think that in several cases, teams just reach this point of shelf life with certain coaches, and um, they've been underwhelming for a few years now, ever since their cup win. Um, so you're looking at a situation where it's just, I think the time ran out and, uh, yeah, Craig Berube fired. Uh, but I honestly think though, that like not, whoever you bring in is not gonna, you know, change the makeup of this team. And I honestly think that they might go full fire sale at some point because they've got a lot of these guys, you know, aging guys who, uh, aren't, you know, they're not in the future plans and they, they really do need some prospects still too. So, um, I'm of the mindset and I know a lot of other people are as well that I've, I've seen it everywhere. Um, I think the Jets should, ha you know, give a little bit of a call on Pavel Buchnevich. Uh, he, uh, is, he's a lefty uh, left winger. So you're, you're looking at someone who could step in and not necessarily directly in the, you know, Kyle Connor role, but someone who adds a level of depth down further in the lineup and he'll actually, you know, give you a decent amount on both sides of the puck. Ah, yes. Um, he <laughs> over his career has been a solid scorer, a solid play driver, and he's also not bad on the defensive side. And like essentially for the last, you know, three years ish, uh, he's been at or above uh, a point per game. He's got 21 points uh, this season in 26 games. So he's producing uh, on a bad team. Um, I think that at this point, Doug Armstrong doesn't seem to have a clue what he's doing in St. Louis. So you could possibly leverage, leverage the situation here. But um, yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like that's a great option to look at if you're possibly looking to you know, fill the gap by a trade. I 100% agree. And I also think that a Pavel Buchnevich, like, I don't know what his perceived value is, but Nino Niederreiter has been a player that has had great analytics throughout his entire career um, and is a consistent 20 goal scorer. And the Jets got him for a two. Um, yeah. I would you have to give up a one for Buchnevich? Maybe, um, maybe like a one and a prospect, or maybe even more. Maybe I'm way off on what his perceived like market value is, but. Uh, if they if Shovel Dayoff is able to pull off like a, a sneaky two twos for Pavel Buchnevich kind of deal or something like the Niederreiter deal, which is just like a screaming value, um, I think that would be fantastic. And does he have one year left on his contract or does he have term? I'm going to check that right now. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, I don't know if he has it. term because we know Shovel Dayoff loves term. Um, but I do know that he acquired Niederreiter with, with one extra year. Ah, um, yeah. here. So, sorry to cut you off. No, you are exactly correct. Pavel Buchnevich is under contract for this season and then the following season, and then it is a UFA in 25 26. So, so that is just, just money. Absolute money for what Shovel Dayoff wants. That's exactly like the Nino Niederreiter. It, it, but it's one quite a steep year. price. It is. He's and he does have a modified no trade. Yes, modified that is, no trade. That, he has a modified yeah. no trade, and he's making five point eight, which I think would be interesting for the Jets to try to move cap space. Like True. with me to to, I'm going to counter both of your. As much as I love this move, and I want the Jets to make this move, I'm going to be the devil's advocate here and mm -hmm. spin the other side of this. Five point eight is quite a large contract, um, so you would have to move. Uh, one of the players I think that would have to be in that deal because it would have to be NHL player for NHL player. Uh, I mm -hmm. think that this is where Nate Schmidt probably comes into play. Um, he would have to be like, I think it ha would have to be a draft pick and Nate Schmidt and potentially a prospect, depending on what St. Louis's value is for him. Um, yeah. Level of prospect at that point could probably be a C level prospect, especially if you're throwing in Nate Schmidt and a higher draft pick. I don't, it would just probably have to be some sort of, throw in um but to be devil's advocate that 5.8 million is quite a bit that's a large contract um to try i know the jets can probably all these angel teams have finance people they can probably make the money work they mm -hmm. can we've seen what the leafs have done with trying to spin guys and do this and that and yeah throw random money here and well i mean there's also like the like, ltir conversation with connor yeah like mm -hmm. 
if you're if you're bringing in a guy to you know work sort of in his absence the easiest direction there is to work with the LTIR money and then see if you can move you know one of your you know big money defensemen um yep. and like to be honest with you I I'm 100% willing to sweeten the cost if it means a, a little bit unjamming the logjam in that uh, defensive yeah, I 100%. listen Nate Schmidt has honestly not been bad this year uh clearly the organization though has kind of you know, that deemed point. that he is the one that probably would be moved um yeah. but i think that if you manage to you know have some sort of cap dump plus getting buchnevich i would be totally fine with bumping up the cost a little because that benefits two different areas there yeah, yeah. my yeah, only other th- yeah okay. sorry no you <laughs> the only the last thing i will say the only thing is this very old school that i know that someone like cheval Dayoff will take into consideration um, and the Blues, I also believe that the cost for Buchnevich might be a little bit more with the Jets being in the same division as the yes, as the Blues. I, I I know that I know that is so old school and lots of people hate that. But right. same GMs you, though was the Stastny deal, so it's like yeah. Well, there, well, there's that. Nino was moving from the Predators to right. the the Jets, where I actually think that as much as that two was a steal, I think that was probably a higher price than what was being offered to other teams. I would assume because it's it's an in division thing. I know lots of people mm-hmm. hate that, but there's always that. Oh, but what if you trade a prospect and they turn out, or this player does it? That, there's that whole story, and I. I hate doing that, but it's just something that may come up in conversation between the GMs of, well, you're in my you're in my division. If we're competing in the next year or two and you sign him, then we gotta play him and we don't like that. And there's that whole conversation too. So that might yep. slow things down a little bit and might bump the price up. But I really don't think it's gonna bump the price up enough for it to really do anything for the Jets to actually not consider this. Yeah. I would hope. And- and I think on on paper, it's a great, great acquisition. Like it would be. I mean, <laughs> they haven't traded for him. Um, but, you know, his analytics are great. Brian said 21 points this year already. Um, it would be an immediate upgrade to this Ford, Ford group. Um, I do the, the, the modified no trade clause. You're hoping for a Paul Stastny type situation where the Blues are bad enough and the Jets are good enough where Buchnevich just goes, okay, whatever. I'm going to a contender. Um, I'll take because I, I like you see no trade clause. Winnipeg's on the list. Like, uh, like it's yeah. just it's also, just he played. In, he played in New York as well. Like, I'm sorry. Like, are you gonna, yeah. you know, want to, you know, because that's the thing. You're going down here, where yeah. it's you go New York City, St. Louis, Missouri, Winnipeg, Manitoba. Like that's the thing. Yeah. Like at least with Stastny, he went uh, Denver to, yeah. you know, to St. Louis, and then. Up, but then he went. Then, then again, he went to Vegas and after, and then came back. So it says a lot. But yeah. still, yeah, I think um, I think some players just care more about winning rather than whatever. Like yeah. Nino, Nino loves Winnipeg, and he signed here because he loves the team, and they're going to be a playoff team for the next three years. Um, and hopefully, yeah, there you go. Um, but again, on paper, great acquisition. You're hoping for a Stastny situation where he would, um, he would waive his no trade clause especially if the blues are clearly rebuilding. Um, and he might be one of the top guys on the the trade target list, along with like an Elias Lindholm, Chris Tanev. Um, I, I also do worry about creating a log jam at Ford because if Rutger McGordy really is ready next year, um, it becomes a conversation of where does he slot in? Because with a fully healthy oh, lineup, you're either yeah. moving, you're either moving Perfetti out you're either moving uh, uh velarde out um that's if buchnevich is here i mean um you're moving an ehlers out um it's it's because or mcgrody's a third line guy and he's alongside adam lowry with uh with maybe lowry and i follow um or need rider or whatever the case may be but i do worry about that a little bit especially with these guys looking more and more nhl ready by the by the game by the season they're developing they're getting there um but yeah th- those are my concerns but on paper i really like it um he great analytics puts up points big body 
in division trade, like Elliot said, makes it a little bit more concerning, but um, it, it will keep an eye on it. If the blues continue yeah. to struggle, it's, it's something to definitely keep an eye on. Um, is there anything else you guys wanted to touch on before we get on out of here? I think we've uh, kind of covered it all. All right, let's, uh, let's get out of here. Come back next week for episode 59. Um, and stay tuned over the next couple of days. We might release something on the Kings game specifically, just like a 10 minute little initial reaction to what happened. Um, so stay tuned for that. That might be coming to you Friday. We will let you know on our socials at level flight WPG. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. And we will see you next week. See you. Peace. You're listening to the level flight podcast on the hockey podcast network. 